I said all the time, man, losing my arm, it wasn't even the worst part. It was my kidney failure that was the worst part, but all of it together was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, man. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's John here. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Fueling the Pursuit, presented by UCAN. The voice you just heard was that of Michael Smith, Sergeant First Class U.S. Army, triathlete and Paralympic hopeful. Now I'm gonna get straight to the point and just say it. Michael Smith is a lion. And anyone who could say what he just said in the opening quotation to this episode can't be anything but a lion. Michael's story is one of those stories you hear and can't help but shake your head at because it just doesn't seem possible. And yet, not only his unbelievable story true, but the lessons he shares from the journey he's been on are clearly applicable to us all. Yes, he did lose his arm in a terrible accident, but what it awoken within him mentally clearly outweighs what it took away from him physically. Somehow, it had the opposite effect on Michael's outlook on life. Instead of discouraging him, it fueled his desire to be great. And he doesn't hesitate to tell us that the accident was the best thing that had ever happened to him. And by the end of our captivating conversation with him, I, for one, believe him, and I think you will too. But before we get into this episode with Michael, I want to take a moment to introduce UCAN and this podcast to our newest listeners. UCAN is a go-to nutrition product for so many elite athletes, but even UCAN knows that true success is influenced by way more than how you fuel your body. It comes from how you fuel your passion, your motivation, and your mindset. And that's why this podcast is going to take you inside the minds of Olympians, elite athletes, coaches, and trainers to better understand what drives them to constantly push to achieve new personal bests. We're so excited to take you guys on this journey with us and hope we can give you a little more fuel as you work towards optimizing your own performances, both in sport and in life. Now, on to the episode with Michael. All right, today's guest is Army Sergeant First Class Michael Dream Chaser Smith. Sergeant Smith joined the Army out of high school and served multiple combat tours before a motorcycle accident in 2011 led to his right arm being amputated above the elbow. After years of surgeries, rehab, and medical setbacks, Michael not only turned his medical situation around, but he became the first above-the-elbow amputee in history to receive fit-for-duty status in the U.S. Army, completing 48 one-arm push-ups en route to passing that test. He's currently a recruiter and member of the world-class athlete Paralympic program, where he's training to do the triathlon at the 2021 Paralympic Games. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Appreciate you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, we're honored to get to spend some time with you today. You know, we obviously want to dive into your story and really get to know the mindset that you have to have to do the things that you've done and continue to pursue at, at this point in your life. So thanks so much again for, for, for taking time to join us today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Michael, we were just talking before we got started and we're going to go through your story, but I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what your goals are right now? Just your training for the 2021 Paralympic Games and, and how much time and training are you putting into that right now? So, yeah, it's kind of like a, a loaded question. You know, 21 is what I'm training for, but um, I'm so new to the sport that 24 is is the games that I know I'm going to make. 21 is, you know, what you'll shoot for, but the, the shortcomings and setbacks such as COVID and things of that nature. So 
24 is what I know. That's what I know I'm going to make. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. I'm gunning for it. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. The training is intense. A lot of sacrifices. I've sacrificed friendships, relationships. I mean, all types of stuff, man. And, and that's just what it takes for me to get to my goal. You know what I mean? It's, it's that whole tribe and, you know, village concept. Mike, you, you were in on the paraskeleton team for a little bit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Can, you, can you talk just for just a second? How long did you do that before you transitioned? Because it was just a couple of years ago, like 2018, when you transitioned into uh, the paratriathlon. So, what was it like, and how did you get into the paraskeleton team? What was that like? And it's it's kind of funny, man. I had a lady reach out to me by the name of Kim Severs. She just, you know, I, I think she reached out to me on Facebook initially, and she was like, "Hey." I see you're doing all this stuff and you're a, an athlete all together. Well, the Paralympic is coming out with a skeleton and a bobsled team. Would you like to do it? Me being who I am, I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> That's what little, okay. Yeah. Little did I know me being from Texas, I had no idea what skeleton was. Skeleton was. I knew what bobsled was, of course, because of cool runnings, but had no idea what skeleton <laughs> was, bro. Like it was crazy. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. And I was sitting inside my because I, I was running a recruiting station in Arkansas at the time. And one of the kids that one of the guys that I was in charge of was like, What are you Googling? And I was like, Well, I'm trying to figure out what skeleton is. I just agreed to go to this camp and I have no idea what it is. He was like, Oh, bro, that's amazing. He was like, Let me show you. So he pulled it up. And the first thing that pops up is a YouTube video of people just crashing all over the place. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be doing, going down an ice sled head first going over 70 miles an hour. You know, in Texas, if it if any ice hits the ground, they shutting down the whole state, not just the city. They shutting down the states, the right. whole state, because it could affect everything else. So, but no, it was cool. It was a great experience, man. I had a wonderful time. The camp, I legit enjoyed it so much. I went from a camp straight to a, a World Cup race. Like, I didn't even go home. I just started contacting some of my contacts and I was like, Hey, I need a sled. I need this, like <laughs> this, this full length spandex suit. I was like, I need the whole thing. And I, I was able to get it in a week. And I went to, I think Park city, Utah for my first race and mm-hmm. um, first race ever in my life. Not even in camp. I didn't even go from the top, but now all of a sudden I'm going from the top and I got fourth. And then I made the national team like two weeks later. And it was just, it was great, man. Like, I ain't gonna lie to y'all. I suffered a, some broken ribs, a fractured jaw, because that sport is brutal. Yeah, <laughs> my, yeah, my first full race, I just remember vividly. I remember going down the track, and they tell you not to lift your head going into a turn because the turns are so fast. They call them G turns, and it sucks you down. Well, I lost focus. Well, not focus, but I lost my turns where I was at, and I went to look up, and I was in a turn, and it slammed my head on the edge of the sled and into the ice. It, I was literally knocked out for like a couple of seconds. And when I got to the end, people was running down. I was like, what are y'all doing? They was like, you don't see that blood trail that you left oh all the way down gosh. the ice. So, wow. yeah, no, it, it was a, it was a great experience, man. And honestly, honestly, it was a great experience. And honestly, I would have kept going, but you know, there wasn't enough para athletes in that particular sport to okay. make it, you know, to make it to the games. Cause if it wasn't for that, man, I, I was going to the games and that bro, like, I was all in on that. So, okay. I was going to say, so you actually were into it. You, you enjoyed oh, doing yeah. it. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I was all in, bro. Like, yeah, I was in a sport I'm not supposed to be in. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, I'm I mean, I'm, I'm black. <laughs> I'm black. Sliding yeah. down a track. You know what I'm saying? For the U.S., not any other country. And then I have I have one arm. So black one arm from Texas. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, no, I don't. You only got to explain it. I get it. No, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I, well, so we were gonna ask about what you're doing now, right? So you're aiming to make the 2021 Paralympics. Um, you know, we're curious a little bit about what your training regimen is right now, like how much time you're putting in, and you mentioned it. You just touched on it, the pandemic, and how that's kind of obviously transformed, not just changed, but transformed the landscape in terms of or specifically for Paralympic and Olympic athletes and their preparation. Can you talk to us about like your training day to day and also what's that been like trying to navigate thinking, preparing for the Paralympics or trying to make it well, having that in the yeah. back of your head? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say this time last year, I legit moved from Colorado to Florida just to train full time. Uh, so I can get ready for the games. I mean, one of the most important races at the beginning of the season is March is the, is the camp try and mm -hmm. it's the American championships in Sarasota. So yeah, I was there and like a day or two before the race, they canceled it because of COVID. It just got rampant. And I mean, at the time I really wasn't paying attention to that. I wasn't watching any news. I wasn't doing anything. Like my life revolved around triathlon. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I really didn't know how bad it was until they canceled the race. And then I started really paying attention, mm -hmm. but I feel like, I don't know what other athletes are doing. I don't, I'm just one of those guys where I don't pay attention to what anybody else is doing. I'm focused on me and me only. I don't care what numbers they're putting up. I'm just focused on my numbers. So I took that as a blessing in disguise. And I mean, I'll say that a couple of times throughout this podcast, I took mm -hmm. that cancellation. I took 2020 as a blessing in disguise when they was like, yeah, we're not going to be any races, not going to be any of this. And the games may or may not happen in my head. I immediately set my sights on, okay, well, now it's the time for me to focus on the things that you don't normally get a chance to do right, right? So in this, in a, any professional sport, any professional triathlete, runner, basketball player, they'll tell you it's the small stuff that you have to conquer before you can expect the big games and expect to do well in the bigger things. So I went out, man, I like I moved back to Colorado. I went out and got me a run specific. Well, I switched triathlon coaches to Justin Troll, who's just a phenomenal coach, triathlon coach, but I, I switched to him and we sat down and talked and I was like, Hey, look, these are my weaknesses. This is my competitors are way younger than me. And these boys are just, they're on it. So this is what I want to work on. And he's the one that was like, Hey, so let's, let's find you a run specific coach. Let's find you a swim specific coach, a strength coach and a nutritionist. And in my head, I'm like, man, that's a lot of people to be answering to every day. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, man, I already don't like to put notes in training peaks, but I was just like, now I got to do it for four different people. This is about to be crazy. But right. I'm glad we did that. We made that switch so fast. And no lie, like 2020 was just like great for me. I took full advantage of it. I love most people complain about 2020 and all this, that, and the other, not me, bro. I will tell you, 2020 has been my best training season ever. Like I said, no lie. I said 48 pounds. I jump. I, my Watts went up almost 40. I said nine minutes on my swim. Like I said almost six and a half minutes on my run. So like, mm. bro, I'm ready to go. Like, and I used to complain about 
you know, my coach would be like, hey, you need to be in the water and ready to go. Like, you need to be in the water by five. No joke, like no plan. Five o'clock, like this is my life. Why do I have to train so early? This is dumb. I have 24 hours to get all this done. Right. And then he gave me his logic, though. He gave me his logic. And it's the same thing in the military. You want to get to this repetitive stance, right? When everything becomes second nature and you're not complaining about it. So now yeah. it's nothing for me to get up at three o'clock, eat my breakfast, do my stretching, be at the pool and ready to go. I don't care what nobody else is doing. I know what I have to do. And that's what is what I do. And this is what it is, man. So, I mean, my hours vary, but I will tell you this. I went from doing like six to eight mile training runs to now me and my coach is banging out like 10 and 15 miles and it's nothing like yeah. and he never tells me either he never tells me like there's a mountain here in um golden colorado called lookout mountain and you gain an altitude like almost two thousand feet it's, it's ridiculous and my coach calls me he was like hey so we're gonna run today it's saturday i'm like yeah man i got a bike don't worry about it just meet me at this part so we're running next thing i know i'm looking at this mountain and we banged it out though like Went up, came down, ran an additional five miles. We, I mean, we banged out almost 18 miles. Wow. This time last year, yeah, this time last year, there's no way you couldn't even ask me to do that. Like, I would tell you no. Like, nah, man, you got to give a brother a heads up. I got to cut for this. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I'm, so I'm just going to put this out there because this is what this show is all about. I'm sitting there asking myself this question. What in the world is going through this guy's head to get him to be able to do what he's doing? That's what we want to know, Mike. And I'm telling you right now, man, this, this what you're describing. Wow. I'm I'm blown away, man. I'm 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 impressed. Seriously, that's super cool. And do you feel like everything is on track or is it even further along than you were expecting in terms of your preparation? Yeah, man. I bro, if you can't tell it in my face, like I get I get super hyped just talking about it because <laughs> like I'm ready. My coach has to pull the reins back. I'll be in the gym and just like, what are we going to do? He's like, man, you can't train hard every day. Some of the fastest runners in the world know how to run slow. And I keep that in my head, man. Like I, I cause you can overdo it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and you can, you can hurt yourself by overdoing it and trying to prove yourself and things of that nature. So I have a really good team and they keep me grounded. And I, I'm telling you, like, <laughs> man, these boys have no idea We're I'm supposed to race in March in Sarasota. But I declined that race. I'm not going to do it because there's a couple more milestones that I want to hit before I go, before I show up. Like it used to be last year and the year before that, I would go race just to race. No, nah, yeah. man, I, I'm racing. To, I'm racing to win now. Like, that's come that's, on with it. Like, yeah. that's a change in mindset. That's oh, yeah. a change in mindset. It's cool, man. Oh, All right, yeah. Michael, you are obviously an elite athlete at this point I can tell just everything you're saying, you, it just resonates with me as far as like what you hear from the best of the best athletes, how they think about stuff. And I want to keep diving into this, but I actually, I feel like for the sake of our audience and for the sake of really getting perspective on where you're at today, it's, I think we got to go back a little bit. And I just want to ask you a couple of questions about your past, because I think what I'm really fascinated about is how you got here, how you got to this point. Mm. And I know from learning about your story you weren't always at this point in your life right <laughs> yeah nah, yeah so, not even close so can i just i mean let's we don't have to spend too much time on all this but but going back before you know, you had a, a crazy accident that where you ended up losing your arm before that accident the michael smith that you think back on then did you have an elite athlete mindset at that time when you were in in the army not at all man not at all it was just like most people you play high school ball, you play a little bit of college ball, whatever the sport should be. 
And then you realize like, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And then you kind of let it go and you become a recreational athlete, right? Like you're just, and that's what it was. Like I played all army ball and I played, you know, for the bases and stuff like that. So like, I was still, I could still get it in, but those NBA dreams, those overseas dreams, they just kind of floated away. And I became more focused on my family and being GI Joe every day, you know, protecting and serving, you know what I mean? Like that's, that was my mindset. And honestly, I will tell you, man, like I took a lot of things for granted. You know what I mean? Like Mm. things that I think about now, didn't even think about then. And so, I mean, I I said all the time, man, losing my arm, it wasn't even the worst part. It was my kidney failure. That was the worst part, but all of it together was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, man. Like the best down, best thing. That is just an amazing statement to hear somebody say, right? Because it is, it's, (laughs) I cannot put myself in that mindset right now, very easily to think that I would have that feeling in, in the same way. Can you tell us really briefly how you actually lost your arm? Like what, what the circumstances were and sort of how long it took for you to recover from that initial accident? Yeah, yeah man. So 2011, I've always been a motorcycle enthusiast. I was on the highway in Nashville, Tennessee, right in front of Titan Stadium. And I just remember being on my bike. I remember seeing a lady veering into my lane. I could see out of my peripheral, but I could also see the cell phone glare in her window, which told me like, okay, she's texting. All right. So when she got really close to me, I rev my engine. And it's like, it startled her. So now she knows where I'm at. Like we see each other and, you know, she was a little shook, but I, to this day, I believe that she got right back on her phone because she hit me anyway. And yeah. And when she hit me, it knocked me over the guardrail into oncoming traffic. And I remember this so vividly. I just remember twirling in the air and there was this, it was like a movie. It was at one point where I'm legit upside down and I could see backwards and I can see headlights. And I just remember thinking, man, this is it. Like, this is over. And yeah, uh, the truck, it was a white, I think it was a white F-150. Like, I just remember that vividly. And so when it hit me, I had on a motorcycle jacket and helmet and boots and all that stuff. And when it hit me, it hit my, the backside of my arm. And it, I legit hit and stopped. Like there was no tumbling or anything like that. So once again, God has his way because had I hit that ground going as fast as I was, it'd have been, I wouldn't be here. I'd be a vegetable or I'd be gone. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it hit me. I stopped, you know, there was a couple of times in and out of consciousness. And then I, I went into a coma and then I woke up and my mom and my grandma were at the hospital. So, yeah. And then from that point, how long were you in the hospital? I think it was, you were in the hospital for quite a long time. Man, I was in and out the hospital. I, mean, I had over 22 surgeries. I was in and out the hospital. I had like seven, six or seven or eight different amputations just because of, you know, infections and stuff like that. And just, it just wasn't working out. And yeah, it was just a long time, man. But my last time in the hospital that I fully remember was I was my roommate, my best friend at the, you know, my best friend, Sammy G, we was sitting in my living room watching the Alabama LSU game. Mm-hmm. I remember that because he's a, he's, <laughs> Man, this dude is over the top for Alabama, but he was watching the game. And I remember it was halftime and I set up and I looked at him. He was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, man, I think I'm dying. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, man, I'm about to check out. It was the worst feeling in the world, bro. I cannot explain it, man. Wow. I had this glaze. I couldn't function. I didn't know where I was. And I just remember looking at him and I was like, yo, I'm about to die. I'm about to check out. I don't know what's going on. And he was like, oh, nah. It's probably your meds. Just go take a shower. So I couldn't even walk, man. I got up and I remember turning on the shower 
And I stuck my hand in the shower and then I just remember vomiting. And it was just like this green stuff. It was crazy. It looked like something off the Ghostbusters when they, it was, yeah, it was crazy. And I just remember screaming his name and then I passed out. I woke up a day later and the lady told me, she was like, man, God must have his hands around you because when you came in, there was not one person in the emergency room and we got you right to the back. She said, your blood pressure was so high that you're supposed to come out of this. Everybody's expecting you to come out of this with brain damage. Wow. Wow. And so they admitted me and I was in the hospital and then all of a sudden I couldn't eat and I was just losing weight rapidly. Like I legit went from 205 to 160 in a couple of days and nobody knew what was going on. It was just crazy. I couldn't eat nothing. And during this whole time frame, my aunt had got diagnosed with stage four cancer. So my mom is with me and I'm looking at my mom like, hey, I'm going to be cool. Go be with your sister, this, that, and the other. Like, And her cancer was to the point where there's no recovery. It's not going to happen. And I just remember there was a point in my life while I was in the hospital that my friends, even my surgeon came to my room and they people were saying their goodbyes to me. Like it was, man, I, I can't explain that feeling to know that you're checking out and there's nothing nobody could do. And one particular day, my aunt called and she was like, hey, nephew, what are you doing? I was like, I'm in the hospital where I've been for the last three weeks. I was like, what are you doing? And uh, she was like, man, I'm throwing myself a going away party. Mm. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, man, I've lived. I've lived good. I live the right life. I believe in God. My family's Southern Baptist. So you know, we believe in talking in tongues and running around until we sweat all the other nonsense. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she just told me, hey, I'm going to switch spots with you. You know what I'm saying? I know what's wrong with you. And when I tell your doctor, we're going to switch spots. So of course, like, man, like this is probably the first time I've been able to tell this without like boohooing and snot bubbles and stuff. But okay, she told my doctor, she was like, my nephew is having kidney failure. See, his kidneys are about to be done if y'all don't check him right now. And then it was like a aha moment. I'm looking at my doctor like, like, bro, how you don't know this? My not, she's a nurse, but how you don't know this, man? You get paid like for real? So yeah. he was like, Mr. Smith, have you had anything to eat? And I was like, you know, I can't eat, bro. Like, I've been throwing up all day. He, my aunt was, there you go. She was, we're going to switch spots. They took me back, ran tests, came back. My kidneys had failed when I was at home. I had renal kidney failure. Oh, my God. Yep. So then, yeah, they put me on dialysis and all this stuff, and I'm going through it, and they don't think it's going to work. My mom calls me crying. Your aunt is not responding, and she just says that to tell you that she wants to switch spots with you. And I was like, say no more. Say less. I called my guy G. I was like, yo. We got to drive to Texas. He was like, what are you talking about, man? You're in a hospital. You can't walk. I was like, listen, they do a nurse change. They do the swap over at eight o'clock. My truck keys are in my drawer. Come pick me up and we're going to drive to Texas. He snuck me out the hospital. We got in my truck and we drove all the way to Texas. Twelve hours. Bam. Straight shot. I walked into my aunt's house because she's on hospice. My mm-hmm. whole family was there. And everybody kind of like opened a path and they was like, she's waiting on you. I went in there, she grabbed my hand, she passed away. So yeah, man, it was wow, it was, yeah, it was it was a lot. Nice. This is probably the first time I've been able to tell this without like 
boohooing is probably because I'm mm. popped up on Google. I don't know if like, I can ask you a question without getting teared up. Um, I, had my, yeah. I had my moment. I had my moment. I gathered myself. You gave yeah, me, me too. I was time. like, ooh, okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, yeah, seriously, man. No, nah, I, I, I believe it. So, Michael, you... you your lowest point, it sounds like, was this was kidney failure. You're you're completely out, but you get diagnosed and you have this absolutely remarkable moment with your aunt. At that point, can you start walking us through your steps to get out of that deepest point of you know your worst place? I mean, it was hard, bro. I mean, because you go you go through a state of depression. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I was like, how could this happen to me? I'm a soldier. This is supposed to happen in combat. After these combat tours, nothing happened. And now I come home and I lose an arm. You know what I'm saying? It was just kind of so surreal. But I saw so I went through a depression. But I, I will tell you, man, it wasn't short lived. But I, I came out as fast as I did and as strong as I did because of my faith in God, my family and my friends. Man, if it wasn't for those three things, I, I promise you, narcotics, getting hooked on those meds, it's mm-hmm. real. Especially when you've never had anything wrong with you in the past and you don't know anything about it because it. It's one of those things, if you don't live in that life, if you don't know anybody, then you don't know the adverse effects. You don't know what it can do and how it can destroy you. So I went through that right. phase and family and friends, man. And, I mean, prayer and it, it was rough, but I came out, you know, and I just remember I went to go see my daughter and it was the first time her seeing me without my arm. And she was just like, no matter what, you're still my superhero. So I was just like, mm. you know what I mean? It was just when you're a kid comes and tells you. No matter what you look like, I accept you and I still love you. When she said that, I was like, okay, I'm messing around. I got to, I need to get my life together. I'm tripping. Like, right. right. They kind of, it's funny. It's beautiful that you bring that up because you need those little things to kind of put perspective, right guys? You know, with having kids, I mean, I got, I I got a little girl. Ryan's got two daughters as well. And I got to tell you, all I need is my little girl to tell me something, you know, it's just to remind me of like, Hey, I'm all right. You know, and if she says it's all good, it's all good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, bro. Uh, yeah, especially fathers, man. And we have girls. So, bro, you are there. So you're what they look up to. You're what they expect a man to be. You know what I mean? You can mm-hmm. do no wrong. And I've I've had some bad times where legit I would just send my daughter a text and she would send me a voice message. She wouldn't text me. She would send me a voice message back and nothing else mattered. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like right. nothing else mattered. My little girl thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread. So I'm good. Let's rock. What was her age at that point when she saw you for the first time without an arm? She was nine years old. She was nine. Wow. Uh, And I tell you, she, she, man, even then she played no games. I remember we went Mm -hmm. to the mall and (laughs) so we went to the mall and we're going down the escalator and these kids were going up and they said something slick. My daughter jumped over the thing and was running after these kids. And I was screaming to people like, somebody stop that little girl. She was she was about to go have some words. Like, my kids don't play no games, bro, for real. Mm. Yeah, when you love <laughs> when you that. love something, boy, it's funny how like, it just has to take something to trigger and turn that thing in you uh, to go after and protect it, you know? Oh yeah, oh no. yeah, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna talk about her daddy. That's what's not gonna happen. <laughs> so, so Michael, my understanding is that at some point after you, you get through the kidney failure, you were in this point, you're sort of hooked on pain medications or, or whatever medications you're taking. You gained a lot of weight. You were sort of out of shape. You're not really doing anything. I think you're still in the army, but obviously you're on some sort of a non-active rehab situation. And around that point, my understanding is you made a big decision to transfer your yourself over to a unit called the Warrior Transition Battalion in Texas. 
And yep. can you tell us a little bit about that and why you made that decision and what that did for you? Yeah, actually, to be honest with you, it wasn't my decision. My cousin is in the Air Force and she's a neurologist. And she had just got to San Antonio and she was like, cuz, you're doing all this struggling by like, you got family and friends, but you need help, help. And mm-hmm. she was like, there's this place called Warrior Transition Battalion. That's where you belong. And I didn't know what it was. So she sent me all this information. I, t- I contacted the recruiting command. I legit, at the time I was in Dallas recovering, there was one in Kentucky. I drove, I got up the next day, drove all the way to Kentucky and I walked into the office and they looked at me like, who are you? And why are you missing an arm? And are you in, even in the army? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm in the, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm in the army. This is what happened. This, that, and the other. And they was just like, they were like, this is a whole year later. They're just like, we don't even know who you are. We don't know nothing about you. Needless to say, heads rolled, you know, people got in trouble because, you know, it was supposed to go up and it didn't. But yeah, man, going to San Antonio, bro, like that recovery process at San Antonio, man. Yeah, man, that was, once again, that was just one of those things, you know, God puts things and people in your place for a reason. And San Antonio, that recovery center, and then uh, a young lady by the name of Heather. I met her and my cousin was with me. And I remember walking into this place and I was like, man. I ain't nobody. I ain't nah, man. I'm good. I ain't nobody supposed to be doing all this, man. Let me go, give me my 100% so I can go to the crib. I'm I'm good. And this this lady named Heather, who is the like she's a sports recreation therapist at uh for the Warrior Transition Battalion. But uh-huh. I remember talking to her and she was like, Oh, we do we ride horses, we do this, we do that, we go skiing, this and that. And I was like, Yeah, that sounds good. I ain't with a none of that. Like I ain't trying to do none of that. <laughs> And I legit walked out of that lady's office and walked downstairs. And as I was walking, she had took some kind of back way and met me at the front door. And she was like, no, what you don't understand is this is what you're going to do. And I'm going to help you get out of this mindset. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And she was like, by the time I'm done, like, you're going to be amazing. Don't even worry about it. I got you. And I'm looking at her like, who is this? Like, who is this lady, man? Like who she thinks she is? And no lie, no lie. Like, she had me running marathons. She had me running marathons. I was cross country skiing. I was doing Spartan races. I got my trifecta through Spartan races. I did, bro. I was riding horses, man. Like I, I did everything underneath the sun. And she, she is one of the main reasons why I am still active duty today. She helped me with that mindset. So when we talk about mindset, sometimes it takes somebody else to put you in that path, right? Like to not necessarily push you or not necessarily guide you, but just point you in the right direction and be like, hey, look, if you go down that road right there, this is potentially what you can get to. But if you continue going down this, that easy left, then, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing but a brick wall down there. There's a dead end. So eventually you have to turn around and come back. It's so. so true. It's so true. I mean, we all have that. I mean, a lot of us, you know, when you're athletes, it's maybe it's your coach, it could be your parent. It could be, it could be a mentor, a friend, somebody who, who looks at you and sees something that you don't see in yourself. And then they tell you like, I see it and I'm going to show you. Right. And, and as long yeah. as you buy in, yeah. like they, they bring it out of you. I mean, Brian and I were teammates at UCLA and the coach that we shared, cause he was, Brian was a couple years ahead of me was Eric Peterson. And it was funny. I had that experience with Eric because our coach Peterson, because he said to me something that I believed about myself, but it was so great. And, and, and honestly, it was really important to hear it from somebody that was in many ways, like a credible source, like he's seen so much and been through so much in the sport. So that when he said to me, I think you're going to be one of the best runners in the world, 
I needed him to say that, even though I didn't ask him to. But the fact that he did say it, and it was not something that I asked, it it really shifted my own belief. And honestly, the mindset that I had in terms of the work that I was willing to put in to see how far I could go and how close I could get to that thing. So yeah, you do need somebody. We, we, we all need that, don't we? We all need somebody yeah. to point that out. And hopefully you've had those types of experiences at some point in your life where you could point at somebody in your life and said, yep, they helped me, you know, to kind of see that right. in myself. Right. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And she, she did that for me for my recovery. And, and I've had several people like that throughout my life, mm-hmm. throughout this Paralympic journey. Mm-hmm. But she, she was the person for me as far as my recovery and getting active, getting activated. I'll say getting activated. She activated that, that lion inside of me. She like, she like kicked that line in the butt and I woke up and I was just like, okay, well, let's, let's go. Let's, let's see what we could do. And you so know, you didn't know it was there until she kicked it. <laughs> bro, I had, I had no idea it was there until she kicked it. And when she kicked it, yeah, she kicked it in the right spot because she got me jump started for life. So we, yeah, we in there. <laughs> Can I ask oh, you man, real quick because I want to? Uh, this transitions to you actually doing something that's so amazing, which is which is earning your fit for duty status and doing all that work that you did to get that fit where the army couldn't justify retiring you because of losing an arm, right? And I'm curious. I read a quote. You just basically said first I had to get my mind right. Once I had that, the physical part was easy. And and then I look at what you did from the physical part and I think that is crazy because what you did was not easy at all. And so I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. Like, how did you, I don't know, how did you embrace that challenge and, and know that you're, you're going to be able to do this? So, I mean, I had no idea, but once again, it just, it goes, it, just like we just talked about it, it goes to these people that come in. It, my grandmother and my mom always taught me people come in and out of your life for a reason. It's either and they're seasonal, right? So some some blow in and blow out, some stay. But the people that are like roots that stay and that are grounded in your life, those are the ones that we heed from, right? So I was very, very fortunate and very blessed. I have roots. People that I've met are rooted, embedded in my life. And they're the ones that have been like, hey, man, here we go. This is what we do. Okay. So it was my family, of course. And then it was my roommate, Sam. Then it was Heather. And then I ran into another lady named Nicole Stahl and she was actually an attorney. So I had done all this stuff. I had done, you know, I went and saw her when I first got there and she was like, I'm going to tell you, you know, arm amputees are unheard of staying in because you guys, it's easier to function with a leg prosthetic than it is, you know, missing a full arm. Mm. And she was like, so I've never seen it be done before. She looked me dead in my eyes, but you know what? You're going to do it. What'd she tell me that for? I don't know why she told me that because it was on then. I went and researched on my own everything that I had to do. And during this whole time, people are telling me like, nope, you can't do it. Nope, you can't do it. Nope, you can't do it. Even got to a point where I had something ungodly like 15 days before I was medically retired. Mm -hmm. And I remember when they came and told me that, oh man, that broke my heart. I was crying. I was irate. I was mad. I didn't know what to do. I was lost. And I went right back to that one lady that I had met and I went, walked into her office and I was like, they're going to medically retire me. And she was like, let me make a phone call. She made a phone call. She was like, Hey, once again, this is unheard of, but you have a physical board hearing. You're going to have to go before everybody who makes a decision, whether or not you go face to face. And I was like, I don't get tired. So let's go. Like, let's do it. Mm. Like whatever. So I went, 
And I had my daughter with me. I was a single parent at the time. I had my daughter for the summer. So my daughter's amping me up. So it's, you know, I don't have nothing to lose. Like, let's go for it. So I went home, got my facts together. And I'm telling my daughter, I'm reading this stuff. She was like, why do all of that? She was like, just show them who you are. You show right. And that's exactly what I did. I had hundreds of medals that I have earned throughout the year, like in the past two years. I put them in a backpack. Me and my daughter went up there. She sat in the foyer. They called me in there. And the first thing they asked me was like, like it looked, they already had it in their mind. They weren't going to accept me. And mm-hmm. they was like, tell us why you should be here. And I dumped all those medals on the table. And I was like, you tell me what soldier you have right now in San Antonio that can do what I've done with two arms. And they're going through the medals. They was like, wait, is this a presidential coin? And is this a marathon coin? And this, that, and the other. And I didn't mention, so I had already met President Obama at the time. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't even know that. I had met all these top generals because of all the stuff that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, by the way, here's 10 recommendation letters from people that outrank y'all and from <laughs> the man himself. So right. if that don't tell you something, I'm low key. I'm low key to man. So if that if this don't tell you anything, then you're right. I don't deserve to be in the army. And y'all don't deserve to make any decisions. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I just I just kind of like it was like one of them drop the mic type situations. I was like, what you going to do with it? And oh, man, I can't believe your I, daughter. I, I can't believe your daughter knew to kind of like throw that at you, man. That's yeah, like, cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool, my, my man, my, she, my daughter is savage, bro, for real. I can tell. I can tell. I love yeah. it. What's yeah. what's her name, man? Her name is Akaya. Akaya. Yeah. Strong that's a, name. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. That's a strong name. Yeah, love it. Her her, her mama is strong too. So she's they both savage. They don't play no games. So they walk. They escorted me out, and um, I'm outside. I'm talking to the ladies and or whatever, and they call me back in. And I just remember them going, we're charging you with a responsibility right now. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's that? And they was like, you're about to be the first above the elbow amputee in the history of the military to return to active duty service with no limitations. That means you can deploy, you can go full-time work, you can go back to doing what you was doing. Like mm-hmm. you're going to be the first ever. And then this lady, this black lady who at the time I had no idea was going to be my boss later on down the road, but she looked me dead in my eyes. She was like, I charge you with helping somebody that looks like you. Mm-hmm. And that to me was super heavy because that means my daughter, that means anybody, right? Any, any person of color, you know what I mean? Like every, if you think yeah. about it, all these kids look up to celebrities and rappers that don't even care about them, that don't even know they exist. But here I am charged with a response and I can affect you directly, physically face to face. And so, yeah, man, at, that that was another Kickstarter. And that was like, so I, throughout this whole time, I got people just gassing me up and they have no idea what they're creating. Like, <laughs> they yeah. have no idea what they're creating. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. M- Michael, you, at some point after that, you got accepted into the world-class athlete program. And now you're living in Colorado and you're training like a full-time athlete. And you're not just a, an everyday, you know, grunt soldier anymore. You're a full-on professional athlete at this point, it sounds like. And you're really living that <laughs> lifestyle. And can you talk a little bit about that transition and just sort of what's your mindset today as you wake up every day? Obviously, that responsibility still, obviously, it's, it's really at the core of what you're doing, it sounds like. Right. So, I mean, first of all, the, so the transition was really difficult to go from being a soldier to now your your sole purpose in life is to make the, the Olympic Games, the Paralympic Games or mm-hmm. whatever it, it may be. But that's a transition in itself because 
you know, when you're not an athlete and you complain about these dudes getting paid millions of dollars to do what they do. But if you've never done that life and you don't know what they put into it, you just don't understand. And I got a taste of it when I first got to Colorado and I was blown away. And my teammate, Alan, who's a phenomenal triathlete, he's missing a leg, but he kept mm-hmm. trying. He would be, he would get so mad at me. He'd be like, bro, you can't play GI Joe and do this at the same time. Like you got to transition to a full-time athlete. There's no other way. He was like, if you expect to make it to the Olympics, like there's no other way. You have to sacrifice everything and go for it. And in my head, I'm just like, yo, bro, I don't know about this six to eight hours a day training every day. And you're only getting one day of rest day. And the other days are, you know, I didn't know what active recovery was. Like, no, nah, recovery means, to, to me, recovery means like not doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You want me to go run six miles on a day I'm supposed to be off? Like, are you crazy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I mean, <laughs> yeah. those are the things that, you know, nobody thinks of when, you know, you call yourself a, a pro athlete or you call yourself a full-time athlete. And, you know, Brian, you speak of my mindset. I tell you, man, like what gets me out of bed every single day is I don't feel like I owe anybody, but man, the people that help me get to where I'm at right now, you know, I I get up every day because it's not, it's not expected, but I want to do it. Like I want to, I, it's like, I want to not prove myself, but I want to show them like, Hey, like all your efforts and helping me do X, Y, and Z is not in vain. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I want to show them. Thank you. This is my thank you for saving my life, you know, in every sense of the word, thank you for saving my life. And this is who I am because of all these people that prayed for me and helped me and bathed me as a grown man along the way. And, you know, was harsh on me and had to pull me aside and slap me and be like, bro, what are you thinking? Like, that's not smart. So not only that, but I had a coach tell me one time, when I first started this, because I was not enjoying it. And I would tell him all the time. I was like, man, if I wasn't halfway decent at this, I wouldn't be doing it. I'm just telling you now. And he mm-hmm. would tell me, he was like, you, you need to quit then. He was like, you need to quit. Mm-hmm. He was wow. like, that's, that's, that's the dumbest reason I've ever heard for you to, to continue to do this because you, because you're half decent. He was like, what I don't come back. I do not want to see you until you figure out why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought that was the craziest thing in the world. I was like, bro, because I can? Like, what, what other answer you want? <laughs> and so I started reading other books and I started listening to Eric uh, Thomas. You already yeah. know. And, hey, look, that I'm brother, preacher, baby. Yep. Hey, that, that brother is serious, man. He'll make you, he'll make you ponder life in 30 seconds. Mm-mm. But yeah. yeah, so I started listening to him and I just started doing some soul searching. And I, I figured out I don't do this sport and I don't sacrifice all that I sacrifice. Not for my daughter. It's not for anybody. It's for me. I love this. I love that pain. I love the sacrifice. I love to see all that hard work to get me to this one race and I just show up and show out. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't passionate about this. I'm not going to lie to you. I was not passionate about this until I hit 2020. 2020 came along and bro, it was just something in me that just ignited this fire. And I just, I love it, man. I just, I love what I do. I love the sacrifice. I love my coaches. I love the relationships I've created around me. I mean, John, we we talked about, you know, earlier mm-hmm. that I'm in a sport where I'm I'm not represented at all. Like oh yeah. Uh it's I'm not in and most people's eyes, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed yeah. to be doing this sport. One yeah. in triathlon, there's not hardly any culture. I'll say that. You know what I mean? It's getting better, but there's not hardly any culture. Not to mention, 
I have one arm, so nobody's expecting me to go jump in the ocean and swim. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> let alone, let alone jump on a bike. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. I go to races. I go to races, and I had I, I'd have a race director ask me like, "Oh, so are you one of my race course people?" No, what? Nah, I'm just gonna jump in the water and swim around like Nemo in a circle because I lost I lost my fin. And then they look at me. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm joking. I'm like, nah, bro. I'm supposed to go out here and win this thing, man. Like, mm-hmm. I'm for real. I'm for real about this, you know. So, I mean, when people ask me like, how do I categorize my mindset, bro? I'm savage with my mindset, man. It's no hose bar, man. I'm telling you, man. I'm, I'm out. I'm like Mike Tyson when he was going crazy, man. I eat your children, man. I eat you alive. <laughs> like yeah. that's what I'm trying to do, bro. Like for real. Don't let me get out there. Don't let me get out that bike, and I can see you on the run. Yeah, game yeah. over. I got to tell you, you know, as we as we begin to slowly wrap up this conversation, I feel like there's a few more things we want to touch on real quick. I got to tell you, the thing that stands out to me the most about you is it's funny because I keep listening for the words. I'm listening for something. Right. And the thing that, that I get is just this feeling, you know, as it relates to your mindset. And it's this feeling of building. You know, you're building something. This is something that's growing and it's growing and it's growing and it's not done yet, but it's growing. And it's like this, maybe it's a fire or something. It's like something is being stoked. And I think that that's important for all of us to understand that you're saying this just last year, this turned on in you. And and, and a lot of people are, as far as like where you're at right now, your hunger and passion for triathlon and competing yeah. But I mean, you, you would assume if you didn't know any of the other stuff that you've been like this forever, it's been in you the entire yeah. time, though, hasn't it? And it's just one of those things where it had to be turned on and then it had to be it had to be stoked and it had to be nurtured. And and now you're starting to feel that fire really burn. And and right. and, and now, you know, your job is to what to add fuel to the fire, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, man. And that's the thing. When I meet people, I don't want them to be like, oh, yeah, I met Mike. He was a great athlete. That needs to be second. That needs to be last. When I meet people, I want them to be like, man, I met this brother and he had me wanting to conquer the world. Like his attitude, his mentality was so contagious. That's what it needs to be. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it don't matter what it is. You could be trying to get a master's degree. And after you meet me, you need to be trying to go for your doctors. Like, Straight up. That's how it should be, though. You know, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the kind of I want to be those people that you encounter and you'd be like, man, no lie. I was tying my shoes in Foot Locker with one hand. And this lady came up to me and she was just like, there's nothing I can't do right now. Like you're laughing and joking. That's awesome. And you just tied your shoes with one hand. Like, that's what I want to be, bro. When I go that's speak, it. man, when I go do anything, I just want to be contagious. I just want to be the definition of being a good human, no matter mm-hmm. what you identify mm-hmm. with, no matter who where you come from religion, who you voted for. I want them to be like, man, this dude, Mike. Yeah, that's, that's, he, he's it. Well, this he's is it. it right here. I have two questions. And the, se- the, the one I want to ask you right now, because just ties to what you're saying is you've kind of nicknamed yourself, or maybe you got this from somebody else, the dream chaser. And how did that name come about? Why is that such a strong symbol of how you define yourself? So check this out. So my grandfather me was super, super close. He was like my dad. I admire that man. Before he passed away, he was my number one fan, no matter what I did. He was my number one fan. But the one thing I remember asking him was, I was like, man, you and my grandma, y'all have like the perfect relationship. Y'all always laughing, this, that, and other. And he, he got so serious and I never get seen him get this serious. He was like, you know what, son? 
the day you stop being hungry is the day you die. The day you stop trying to learn, the day you stop being curious and the day when that's done, you die. Like it's over. I always have a goal. I always chase them dreams. He was like, be a dream chaser. What? Wow. Like after I lost my arm, this conversation is hitting me. You feel me? Like yeah. it didn't hit me as hard then, but after you go through life and you get older, cause he told me that when I was a teenager, you know, as a teenager, you don't listen. Wow. But <laughs> wow. now as it, as it, as it comes back <laughs> around and you're like, oh man, like that's me all day long. This fire, bro, that I have is, it's legit, man. It's like one of them forest fires in California. It just ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Mike, you, Mike, you and I can't hang out. <laughs> You and I cannot <laughs> hang out. You know why? Because you and I together, woo, we talk about, oh, oh, I'm like that. I ask Brian. I'm like that every day, man. I get crazy. I get fired up, man. I'm trying to save the world, you know? Yeah. Mike, you are something else, man. Wow. I love it. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> I'm pumped. I am Michael, pumped. We got to wrap this up. I could talk to you all day. It's very clear that you are one of the most driven people out there today. And so I, what advice would you give to people in our audience to help fuel the mindset that they need to excel in their lives? You know, honestly, I would say, especially with now more than ever in, in life, in the history of whatever, I feel like you got to take a step back and, and identify with who you are first, know yourself, right? And then goal setting, it's amazing. And it sounds so simple, man, but goal setting is so amazing and setting benchmarks. And they, they're so minute at first, but when you start setting those goals and you start hitting them, man, that I, that's another thing, man. It, it does something to you. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it, it, they could be so small. I'll give you a one quick example. My sister right now got rusted at ER last night because she's battling kidney disease. So it's, it's causing fluid buildup on her brain. Mm -hmm. And so that caused her to gain like a lot of weight. She's had two brain surgeries in less than a year. My sister, my twin, my, my gorgeous sister is, she's like me. When you're talking about two people together that can cause some habit, <laughs> bro. Before my sister even knew what was going on, she was talking about, yo, I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do that. Like I'm trying to lose this weight. I'm gonna, she's like, this time next year, I'm gonna be 180. Listen, my sister right now is 180, doing her thing, coaching, teaching, like, Right. So it's goal setting. Mm -hmm. She was hitting these little bitty steps. When I, I went to go see her, I used to help her up and take, hey, we're going to take two steps. Next thing I know, I can hear her fall upstairs because she over here trying to take four or five steps by herself and she's not ready. Uh, but it's, it's, it's those small things, right? It's those goal setting. And for me, that's what it is, man. I set these little goals and I hit them and I hit them and I keep building. I keep climbing and I do it for me. I do it for me, man. And I just want to be an example for everybody else. It doesn't whoever you are, just be an example. And then once you get there, like you two are doing, you, you've been there, you've done that. So now you're paying it forward with this podcast. Yes, sir. And, and whether you know it or not, like you're doing it and you're allowing me to tell my story. So by allowing me to tell my story, I promise you, we're going to affect somebody. Somebody yep. out there is going to be affected. Somebody's going to be like, yo, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm about to do something great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, we do, we want to turn it on, man. We want to turn it on in each other, man, and 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 then we want to you know continue to stoke the fire within all of us. We want to understand what that fuel is and what's driving people, so we can we can get a little piece of it, you know. Yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael, we got to wrap this up. 
I'm sure people who listen to this are going to want to follow you, know what you're doing for your journey. Where should people find you? How can they connect with you? Uh, man, uh, one, probably one of a few people, you could just Google black one arm athlete and I'd be like, <laughs> 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 nah, man, I have several social media channels, man. You got, uh, my Facebook is Michael Dream Chaser Smith. My Instagram is Michael underscore Dream Chaser underscore Smith. And that's tied into all of my other outlets. And before I go, I do want to plug in one thing. So I have a nonprofit and it's called Swim Bike Run for Equality. Mm-hmm. And it's just as it sounds, man. I'm just trying to do my small part in this world to provide inclusiveness and diversity and equality into the sport of triathlon, not just triathlon, but sports period, man. Like we're at the point in our lives right now where, you know, you need to forget about all that petty nonsense, man. Like I don't mess with people who are far right and they're just, they're dumb as rocks. Like, what are you doing? You probably need to be the nicest person in the world. So mm. like, I feel like everybody needs to be a good human, man, and just treat everybody like you want to be treated because, you yeah. know, that's where we're at right now. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Absolutely. We will cool. link that up. And and I know you've got a Facebook page for that. And, and we'll link that up in the show notes for everybody to go and find out more about that. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. You, you do make me want to go conquer the world. And honestly, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, boys. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. For both athletes and active people, controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Thankfully, UCAN has developed a patented ingredient to deliver long-lasting energy while stabilizing blood sugar levels. So to properly fuel your pursuit both with the right nutrition and with the right food for thought, make sure to visit youcan.co forward slash podcast to subscribe to our podcast show, to see our current lineup of upcoming guests, and of course, to learn more about UCAN's amazing products.